him, and she said, you know, um, I'm, I'm done with my husband. I want a divorce, um, but I just want more than a divorce. I, I, wanna, I want revenge just because of all this pain and stuff that he's, he's caused me. I, I really, I want to hurt him, and I want to hurt him bad. And so being the wise pastor that he, he was, he said, all right, I've got a plan for you. You go home, and for the next six weeks, you bend over backwards and you do whatever your husband wants you to do. You love him. Put, it, put all this stuff in action. Serve him, wash his feet, wash his hair, cook him meals, give him massages, anything he wants, you just put into action. And then call me after six weeks because at that point, what you can do is sit him down and say, hey, I want a divorce because he'll fall in love with you at that point and then you'll just really hurt him. So after eight weeks, he, the pastor hadn't heard anything. So he called her up and said, hey, you still want that divorce? She said, no. Now that I put everything into action, I found that I love him. And I think there's, there's, the point of that is when we put things into action, it's more than just a knowledge. It then it becomes a reality of what it is. And, you know, most businesses have a business plan. It's not just a knowledge of, of marketing, how we need to market or, or how we need to sell the product. It, it involves an action point of how something's going to, to get to that place. The same with, um, with athletics. I mean, Craig, I don't know where, I guess Craig's out in the lobby, you know, when he has a coaching plan, whenever he, he's going to coach his team, it's not, oh, well, here, guys, here's the ball, you go do whatever you want. There's, there's a plan. Knowledge of, of what the other team, what their good player, who their good players are, and how they need to be guarded, and how it put, is put into action. Every military unit has a battle plan. It's not just based on knowledge. It's based on how they're going to implement that knowledge um, so where it can be successful. Education, the same. There's, there's an education plan. And, and what I believe is that action must be put to knowledge. Or in other words, knowledge must be put into action. We can be full of knowledge, but we're useless if, if we're not willing to put that knowledge into action. And so we, we've talked the last few weeks about loving people. Uh, we talked about the, Jesus talking about the two greatest commandments, love God, love people. And we said, you know, there's people who are like us. Sometimes those are easy people to love. Sometimes there's people who aren't as easy to love because maybe they have a different political view. Maybe they have a different view on social and, and uh, cultural issues. Uh, maybe they're just completely different. Maybe they're that annoying person. But I talked about what are the walls that are in our hearts sometimes about loving other people. What walls prevent us, whether it's a stereotype, whether it's a hurt, whether it's something else. And just being willing to, to let God break down some of those walls and us begin to love people in greater ways. So how are you doing with that? How, how, how are you doing with that knowledge that we are to love all people and putting it into action? And then we also talked about... Um, the other side of that, am I living the gospel in a manner worthy? Or am I living my life in a manner worthy of the gospel? From Philippians and from Ephesians, where basically that's what Paul says. How's my behavior? And we talked about a heart transplant, that a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit and a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit and a good tree produces good fruit. And that really we need a heart transplant. We need our hearts to be transformed, that we can have the greatest self-control and the greatest self-discipline of our external behavior, but we're still going to fail because we're doing it in our own strength. And really God wants to transform our hearts. And again, are we putting that knowledge into action of saying, okay, Lord, begin to transform my heart. Begin these things Holy Spirit has begun to convict me upon. Am I willing to take some steps and allow 
that to be happening in my life, that transformation to happen in my life. Now, you know, concerning life groups, I have not, <clears throat> I have not necessarily taken the life group material and preached upon it. But it sounds like I do because the, the life group material is almost the same of what we've been preaching, or at least what I've been preaching about the last few weeks. And, and, and that's when I, I kind of stand back and say, okay, Lord, you're speaking to us about something. Now, I scanned through a lot of the material um, before I introduced it just to make sure it was okay. But to get in depth is usually I'm doing the same as you, reading it in depth each week and studying through the questions and stuff like that. And I've kind of been amazed at how much what we're talking about up here, even what David shared last week on forgiveness is about loving people and the life group material, how much that parallels that as well. And, you know, even, even in lesson three, the heart of disciple maker, um, he challenges on this in a lot of ways, um, this love into action or, um, yeah, knowledge into action. He says, we can have the greatest knowledge or the most knowledge, the, the greatest power we can sacrifice, but all these are worthless if love's not a part of it. And he's really using, uh, David Plate's using the 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 1 through 3, that says, If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So pretty, pretty straightforward words about loving and versus knowledge. And so I know in my life group, and I've talked to some of, the, some of you others who are in life groups or, or life group leaders along the way, this material is provoking us in a good way. It's poking us in the eye, um, which is easy, you know, in the moment to, to be uncomfortable in, in when we're answering the questions. But it's another thing to put the material up and to go out and live and then begin to put it into action. And so I just want to kind of ask that question, if anyone's willing to, to have a dialogue this morning, is, is how, how do we begin to put this into action in more ways? And are we willing to put this knowledge into action? What, what has God been speaking to you in terms of love and action? And uh, not to call Kristen out, but um, Kristen and I had a good conversation on Friday about about discipleship and when, when is it hurting someone maybe based on our commitment or lack of commitment. And so I don't know if anyone has questions or thoughts um, as we move forward. If not, then we'll preach the word a little bit more. Anyone? The question can be whatever. That's one of the questions. Yes, we can start there. Yeah. Okay. So, so yes, I'm gonna have a confession. I told some of you, some of you, this because I needed prayer uh, uh, when Michael was in his earlier stages of, of recovery. So we were all prayed up and everything for the surgery, and, and I knew recovery was going to be hard, especially for him, and I knew it was going to be hard for me as the caregiver. But the 
first Saturday after he got out of the hospital that that Sunday, whatever day he got out of the hospital, that Monday, that first that it started probably Friday or so. But by Saturday, I was calling the troops and texting the troops. It's like, I need prayer because I realized that everything, I mean, literally everything that Michael was asking me to do or that I needed to do in my head, it was like, he just asked me for this. And before I could do that, then he's asking me to do this over here. And before I could get one and two done, then three needed to be done. Just before I got ready to put myself down in the chair, then I needed to get up and go do something. And this resentment was just bubbling up. Not Jesus' love. This resentment was bubbling up and these thoughts going through my head. And at the same time, this other part of me was like, look at you. Your husband just had major surgery and look at you. You are like a spoiled brat, like a queen dethroned. What is wrong with you? So then I'm dealing with that. I mean, all kinds of accusations and the bottom line number one I had to realize I had gone basically without good sleep for five or six days so that was one thing but then the other thing was that okay at my core I'm just selfish just plain and simple at my core I'm selfish and I need God and so, you know, I texted some ladies, like, y'all, please pray for me, because what I want to do is eat a whole bunch of stuff, like chocolate and, and ice cream and a whole lot of it, and just self-medicate rather than go to the Word of God and ask the Lord to strengthen me and to help me and to encourage me so I can serve and, and minister to my husband. So I, did, I had a little bit of chocolate, about 70%, <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little bit. And then I just made myself go sit down and get with the Lord turn on some music for a little bit, and just commune with the Lord. And plus, we talked. We, we talked about what was going on. And then the peace of God came again, and the strength of God came again, and we moved on. And then in a few days when it started again, then I knew what to do and got on top of it. But we, we need God in order. I'm not even talking about the people out there. I'm talking about us, and the scripture talks about us loving each other deeply. And we've been married 36 years. You'd think there'd be some depth there, okay? <laughs> you think? But when circumstances come up, that's, that's, that's when, you know, the rubber meets the road, as they say, and in the, in the, in where the proof is. And it's there, but submitting ourselves to the Lord in the moment. And when I did, he helped me, and he was helped too. Did I confess right there? Yes, you did. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, so knowledge. We, would anyone disagree that, that we're to love people? So that's the knowledge, right? So the action, is that's the hard part. And that's kind of what I, the question is about. How, how do we begin to put that in action? And, you know, last week's lesson, I believe, talked about um, people's problems we want the quick fix, uh, to put a Band-Aid on it, but not to go deeper, um, and it opens up a bunch of different things in that, but at the core, there is a selfishness that is there. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad this morning, but, but if we're going to walk this out, we've got to have some real conversations. It's good that we're chewing over this. And a lot of this is what insight have you gotten or, or how do you begin to put this into action? And, and you know, we're not asking anyone to, to jump across the room. What is that first step? A lot of times, it, that's what it starts with, is first step. And in terms of discipleship, we hadn't even said, I haven't said, disciple everyone, find two people. If you can't find two, find one. 
And, and if you can't find one, begin to pray. You know, those are the, the easy, easier baby steps than sit down and have your 14 lesson or 25 lesson discipleship plan in place and begin to disciple. So anyone else, any thoughts on how to put that into action a little bit? We'll let you know. Oh, God. We had talked uh, in the life groups and we'd about what does this look like, like what you're talking about. And we've got knowledge, and this material is saying, yeah, there's no doubt we need to be making disciples. Um, but then we go, well, day to day, what does this look like? And we have probably very few role models or examples to follow of how that looks like because we come to the church and we hear knowledge and we go home or we just sit and, and we memorize verses and we have all this knowledge. But like you said, or what we said earlier today, what are we doing with that knowledge? What does this look like? Is it I meet some guy and I invite him to have a cup of coffee and, and we talk? And I think maybe that could be one answer, but I think it's something as simple as that. And that's, you must have heard of mine because I, I thought, and I told Jen <laughs> uh, earlier, I said it'd be good if we sat and we talked as a congregation about this stuff. Um, uh, of what, it, what does it look like? How does it do it? You know, give me a step one, two, three, four. <laughs> Uh, and it's, it's, it, the book doesn't really tell you. It gives you, it gives you the knowledge, but it doesn't tell you this is how you do that. And part of that, I guess, is up to the Lord's leading and our willingness to do that. Um, so that's kind of the thing I'm throwing out. Okay, what is it? Hey, how you doing? Have a cup of coffee. Um, go. Uh, who was the guy who preached the other day from Charlotte? He said one of the fruits of the Spirit was, was uh, just being kind to somebody in general. And I, and it, I think it starts, like you said, with baby steps and stuff like that. But I don't know. Somebody throw it out there to me. What does it look like day by day? What you did yesterday, going and picking up the, the, the guy who flew in from Syria, and he didn't speak English, and you, you went yesterday to pick him up, and it was raining, and there was every excuse not to go, but you still did it, and that's a witness. I remember... Um, there was a time in my life, there was a, a neighbor that we, we had, and she had two little kids, and, and I began to pray, okay, Lord, how do I reach out to this lady? And so one time I had her, you know, I'd been over in her house, and I saw how her two little girls acted, and I was in this time in my life where I was trying to have, you know, every little thing in place at, at home, and, but I was still praying for her and asking the Lord, how do I show her love? How do I show her love? And it's like, invite her over and the girls. I'm like, okay. So I, I did that, and those little, those little darlings like, wrecked my house, kind of, sort of. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I don't know if I like that. So, you know, still praying for her, Lord, how do I show love? Like, invite her over, and, and, and the girls, and, and y'all fix lunch together. I'm like, really? Ugh. You know, they're going to tear up my, and they did, you know, tore up one of my plants or whatever. But doing that over time, the girl, the lady and I, you know, um, had a relationship, and eventually I did get to share the Lord with her, and eventually she did give her life to the Lord because I took the time to come out of my comfort zone and out of my, what I like and my preferences and stuff. And, um, and, and then we kind of lost, lost touch, and we met up at a conference some years ago. She was still in the Lord, and that's been a number of years ago, but that's what I did. I just began praying, Lord, what do I, show me what to do and then being open for the Lord to show me what to do. Okay. Another neighbor's story. <clears throat> this one is 
in process currently. So, um, and it really kind of deals with there are times that we're in. But um, when Miss B and Miss Barbara came down to visit Cynthia and I after my surgery, uh, at one point, um, I think it was Miss B, she mentioned about how, uh, I don't know what the word was she used, but she basically, she was impressed by the signs of Christianity in our community because a lot of people have signs up in their yard or in front of their house that says, thank you, Jesus. And um, I said to Miss B, I said, Miss B, don't let that fool you because a number of those same people who have those signs up are go to KKK meetings also. And she was like, what? So anyway, <clears throat> what I'm getting to is we have a neighbor who lives diagonally across the street from us who is in that community of people. And there's a big thank you Jesus sign in front of his house. And so, and he's got the Confederate flags flying, three of them flying on his barn uh, and an American flag as well. Anyway, when I see the Confederate flag because of my past and because of my ancestors, I want to get the biggest gun I can find and boom it. Now that's just me, but what I'm getting to around to answering Stephen's question, because the man is my neighbor and it's, um, so God is dealing with me about, instead of having rage and torment in my soul regarding my neighbor, I need to find a way to pray through on behalf of this person. And so that is a challenge that I am working myself through right now is just to get through in prayer for him and his family and at some point to put action to my prayers and do some type of outreach to him. When that happens, I will share with you guys and let you know. But you can be that's something you can be praying for me about is um, this neighbor who lives diagonally across the street from us and just um, for me to uh, overcome my emotions about the situation and to be able to take him to the throne and for God to grant a change. Good, I appreciate I think a common theme that I'm hearing, and it's been sort of what the Lord has been speaking to me also, is just that um, we don't have to go out and find people who need Christ and disciple them. We just have to look around at the people in our who are already in our lives who need Christ, who either need salvation or just who need to know Christ more fully, and then begin to pray and take those practical steps to love them and serve them and be the fingerprints of Christ on their lives. Um, I know for me, it, it was the neighbor behind us who um, is a younger couple, and they have um, daughters about the same age as our girls. And they were already in our lives, and our girls were already playing together. And we have been praying and reaching out to them, but it was just really praying more intentionally about how can I um, 
take this relationship that I have with this mom and neighbor behind me to a deeper level so that she can see Christ in me and I can be more intentional about sharing Christ with her. And so I, we all, no matter what, if it's a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or whoever it may be, we all have people in our lives who need the Lord or who need more of him. And so I think it's just really being aware of that and being prayerful about that. back on what uh, what your wife just said, Carrie, and that is uh, people that already know Jesus. This young woman, um, oh, she she knows the Lord, and she calls me mom, and she was headed to um, Oral Roberts School. She's finally there. Uh, on her travels from Tennessee to there, she, uh, her car was, she ran into some trouble with her car and she had to stop in Arkansas or somewhere. And so as she was there, she was calling me and saying, what should I do? How do you think I should move now? And I said to her, I said, listen, I said, that's not where you're staying. That's not where God's got you going. So do what you have to do there and get up and get yourself to Oral Roberts School. So she said, well, I, I said, listen, I'm just going to say this to you. You know the same God that I do, and he is no respecter of persons. So I want you to pray, ask him what it is you should do. So she got kind of just, I don't know, got kind of comfortable where she was. And she just kept calling me. I said, you know what? I know you got the answer already, so you just need to move on it. You know what I'm saying? So and in that respect, uh, I felt like, God, I'm telling her all that I know right now, and she's going to have to listen to you. And she did. And listen, when she got there, because now she's there two days or three days she's been there, and she, she texted me, and then she called me back. She said, I'm so glad you kept pushing me. I said, no, you knew you weren't supposed to stay there. You had a destination, and you needed to get to it. So I consider that a part of discipleship in action. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just one more thing. I meant to say this, but it... Um, have you ever noticed in the Gospels how when, when Jesus called disciples, he was basically just walking down the road and he called out, follow me. He didn't go and chase anyone down, um, but he did make an invitation. He asked um, for people to follow them. And, you know, we see the disciples responding to that. I think what I've been guilty of is going down the road and seeing people and waving and smiling and being kind, but not making that invitation. Like, come, follow me. Like, I'm walking on this journey with Christ. Come follow me, or not me, but follow Christ, um, and um, let's journey together um, going towards Christ. But um, I think we sometimes neglect to make that invitation. We, um, you know, we're just content with kind of um, smiling and waving. But it just, that's always really stuck out to me in the Gospels, how Jesus, um, he, he made an invitation, but he didn't chase anyone down. He just, he said, follow me. All right, let me, 
You got something? <laughs> I know when Mark raises his hands, it's like E.F. Hutton. <laughs> and I saw, I saw other hands. Let, let me just let Mark share something. And I, I want to kind of wrap, um, not wrap it up, but there's, we'll have another discussion like this. But I want to say a couple things. And I know I want to be conscious of time, too. Yeah, thanks. Um, the first people I think of when I think of disciples is my children. I mean, that's a full-time job in itself, 100% uh, time uh, spent on them. So I don't want to, you know, lower that as being, you know, we're looking for our neighbors and whatever, and that's great. But our children, I think, first would be our key disciples. And I found in my life, and I could use prayer on this, is that it has migrated since our children all know the Lord. They've grown up. They're getting ready to get married. It's my in-laws, my son-in-law and particular one of them um, some people are saying uh, this young man and they all know the Lord is needs mentoring you know and I'm looking this way and everybody's looking at me you know <laughs> oh yeah I need to mentor him you know he's a grown man but <laughs> so but you know that's what is going to take some time on my part and some effort and Oh, so it's still within the family. So I see discipleship first. Our focus is being family members and then son-in-laws and who knows, you know, grandchildren next. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think it goes along with what Carrie's saying too is do we need to go out and look for a bunch of people and there's people all around us? Um, you know, Joe asked the question and, and I didn't share what I was preaching on this. Did I? All right, so I know you weren't setting me up on this, but uh, I want to share kind of three, three things that I think are critical for us um, in terms of this. And I also want to say this first, there's, there's a number of comments that I might just pop in randomly as, as I remember is, when I look at us as a church, I see us being intentional, I see us with our eyes open, I see us being committed, I see us letting it cost us something. Um, and so, what, what's happening in the life groups, what's happening in the discussions, what's happening from sermons is I think the Lord is stirring us to go even deeper and not to get into just a rut or a place of, of comfortability, especially if we look at other Christians or other churches at times and say, well, at least we're doing this and this and this and they're not, which I think is the wrong attitude to have because I think every church, every, every believer has a purpose. Yes, we should spur people on to action and, and those things. And so I want us to be careful not just to compare ourselves to someone else, but to look at God's standard and say, okay, this is what he said for his disciples. This is what he said, if you're going to follow me, we have to do. And I think that's what's been the hard part is we're looking at the word and, and, and they're pretty, pretty hard words in some ways. He says, you gotta, there's a cost in following me. And then you got to look at the other side of saying, can you afford not to follow me? So if you're going to follow me, this is what the requirements are. Uh, we say, well, Jesus is all about love and grace and peace. Yeah, but he does have a standard. And so I wanted us to look at Luke chapter 10, um, story everyone's familiar with, the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's really kind of three, three things I want to talk about, and, and I'm going to share this quickly. And, and for us as a church to be defined by in a greater way, and define may not even be the right word, but the characteristics that we would have would be so evident upon us that they would that anyone who, who hears a PIC or, or even us ourselves, we know these are characteristics of who we are. And, and like I said, they're, they're already present in our life. But verse 25 of Luke 10, 
It says, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Does that ever make anyone laugh, half dead versus three-quarters dead? Or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so verse 31, A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. So in my mind, when I envision what is happening here, putting myself in, here's this person that's been beaten and laying on the road, half dead, bleeding out, just, you know, obviously moaning and groaning along those lines. Here comes the, the priest. And the priest just, you know, glances and just keeps on moving. When I look at, at, the, at the Levite, it says here, and this is me and, and, and what I get in my mind, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, Talks about even stopping, stopping and looking. And say, oh yeah, man, he's he's hurt. Oh yeah, he's he's bleeding out. Oh yeah, he needs some help. And then just moving on from there. I identify more with that person than anyone else in the story, to be honest. And I believe most Christians identify, if we're real with ourselves, probably more with that person of the story. We have elements of the Good Samaritan, and we probably have elements of the other, if we want to be real with ourselves. And, and, and honestly, I'm, that's just where I'm at um, in, in, in just being real with myself. But a Samaritan on his journey came, came up to him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, to me, compassion comes from knowledge. Not always from knowledge, but, but it comes from the Lord. But I believe it comes from a knowledge of what has been modeled. My compassion comes from my wife because when we got married, you know, my spiritual gifts test, my mercy and compassion, it doesn't even register. Um, she's the opposite. She has a lot of mercy and a lot of compassion. So the knowledge of just being around her and seeing how she's put stuff into action has given me knowledge, thus I can put into action. So, so it's modeled a lot of times with us. So he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he took, or then he put on him, or then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took, him, he took out two denarii. Was that, did I skip a part? He put him on an animal, brought him to the inn, took him, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The one who showed mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Action based on knowledge. And I think that's what we're wrestling with is, is what does this really look like? What's it going to cost us? And there's some things that we're fighting against, some, some hurt or some excuse, different things like that. And so first, what I want us to kind of have a characteristic of or somewhat be defined by is that we're intentional, that we're people um, who are intentional. Now, I looked up the definition. It says that um, it is something done on purpose or with purpose. And for us, it's something that's done with purpose. Because we have a calling that comes from God to love God and to love people. Or they're, they're equal, right? Love God, love people. 
All three of these men, they had intention in their heart based on their, their action or their knowledge. The two, the Levi and the priest, they came by. Their intention was based upon themselves and the knowledge of protecting themselves or pleasing themselves or whatever. That's why they walked on by or they stopped for a second and moved on. The Samaritan, his intention was, was different. It was based upon a knowledge that all three of them really had, and that's to care for other people. It's, that's just not something that's written in the Bible post that or beyond Jesus' word. It was already in culture to care for those that are wounded. So the intention was there upon the Samaritan. And we have to be intentional. And that's what I heard people saying this morning is being intentional. People are around us. We have to be intentional. Intentional with our kids. Sometimes we forget if, we, if you have kids in the house or, or even out of the house, being intentional with them because we're thinking, okay, oh, they're, they're fine because, you know, whatever. Let me disciple. May, that's a good place to start in the family, in our classrooms, with the students that you teach. And I know that, that gets into to some stuff, but the Lord is, is beyond that. The people that we regularly rub elbows with, maybe at the gym or, or our neighbors, those are people we can begin to be intentional with. And again, you don't have to show up on their door, knock on the door with your Bible, saying, hey, can I share the gospel with you? Sometimes it's just a plate of cookies. It's, sometimes it's just, hey, I see you're doing yard work. Can I help you with that? And beginning to build the relationship. But being intentional to do that. Because we're intentional with every action that we do if we think about it. We're intentional to turn the TV on. We're intentional to open up the fridge and, and get our food, as, as you were saying, and, and that, that was very honest, you know, to do things that, that make us feel good or, or give us peace or whatever. So one, I want us to be intentional. Two, it's committed. Now committed, there's a wide way of how we can define this, and I want to be careful in, in how I define this because I don't want to make it legalistic in any way because some people you're going to be committed to more than with other people. And I think there's an essence of the Holy Spirit that's going to tell us how we are committed to each person. But when I look at, at what, what happens with the Good Samaritan, the person's laying on the ground, the Samaritan came and had compassion. Now, when I put it into today's terms many times, a good Christian term, if we see someone like that, we say, I want to pray for you. And we may even pray for them, and then we kind of walk away. That's not what the Good Samaritan did. Also, the next step of, of being a good Christian sometimes is the bandages and the wine, the oil. We, oh, you need some bandages. Here's the bandages. Here's the oil. Here's the wine. You can do it yourself, and we move on. Now, again, I want to be careful of how we talk about this because I'm not, I'm not wanting to set a standard of legalism necessarily, but just to really, for us to examine our heart. This man, he got down, and he didn't have gloves on, and begin to bandage the wounds, the bloody wounds. He began to pour oil and, and uh, wine into his wounds. He took this man who was beaten up and put him on his own animal. He took him to the inn. He stayed with him. As the, script, as the word says, the next day he gave the innkeeper two denarii. So he stayed with him. So there's a, a, a sense of commitment that is there. And, and a lot of times... We, we struggle with commitment. We want to keep our schedule free sometimes because something better may come along or something easier may come along if, if we're honest with ourselves. And again, I'm not trying to, to paint a picture of, hey, you're not doing this or, or condemning, but this material is provoking us. It's poking us in the eye. Let's, let's be real about this. 
The other thing is, um, how many times have we been burned by taking that extra step with someone, taking advantage of or, or felt used or something like that, and we say, okay, that's why we come and say, well, I'll pray for you. Or here's some bandages, because we don't want to feel that again. Jesus, when, when Peter asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? What was his answer? Peter said, should I do it seven times? Jesus said, seven times 70, which really means infinity. It means many, many, many times. And so I think the same has to be offered. We've all been probably hurt or burnt or used or felt that way in some capacity. So the next time, we just kind of take a step back with that. And so, you know, however, however the Holy Spirit begins to define that in your heart is that we would be committed to the people who are around us as we're intentional and that we're committed. It may be sending a text to someone once a week. It may be going and knocking on their door a couple times a week. It may be giving up a football game to go to an airport to pick up a, a Syrian refugee and, and introduce, you introduce them to barbecue. Not yet, all right. <laughs> you know, doing something along those lines, giving up something that, that's near and dear to us. That's something I'm not going to tell you you need to do this and report back to me. The Holy Spirit needs to tell you that. But the commitment is, is something that we need to have. And then verse 34 and 35, it says, He brought him to an end, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. He gave him to, his or they gave him to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. The third is very similar to the second is it's got to cost us something. The commitment, the in, being intentional, is, it is going to cost us something. You have to be willing to let it cost us something. The Samaritan, you know, if he was a businessman um, who was going to do business, you know, he may, he may have lost a day of meetings and a day of business because he chose to take him to the inn and stay with him. And, and maybe even a morning as he traveled on to the place. Um, he paid money for his bill. And he was willing to pay more if necessary to, to come back and say, is there more that's owed? So he was willing to let it cost him something. And so, um, you know, for us, I don't want, I don't want to be someone who, who preaches the word and then doesn't put it into action. And I want us not to be people who hear the word and have a knowledge or even others who, who get up here and preach it and not put it into action. So for us, we all have this knowledge that we're to love people. We have a knowledge that, that we're to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them God's ways. We have that knowledge. Are we willing to put it into action? I think the answer is yes. And I think what we're bumping up against, and you heard it this morning, is, is how, how do we do this? What, what is that step? And for some of us, it's just stepping out and, and just seeing what happens. Yeah, it starts with love, absolutely. It starts with love. Stepping out and saying, okay, does this work or doesn't work? Does this work or doesn't work? Instead of just being stationary. You, maybe you've heard this, and, and, and maybe it's appropriate in, 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 with the hurricane coming through, but you know, I heard it with Katrina, uh, and probably was said way before that, but someone in the house in, in, in the Katrina New Orleans flood saying, I, Lord, I want to be rescued. And here comes a raft by, no, no, the Lord's going to you know, provide He's, you know, something dramatic, something miraculous. So I'm not going to get in the raft. Here comes a, a speedboat. Here comes a helicopter. You know, sometimes we over-spiritualize the stuff so much, and we wait and say, okay, the Lord is going to bring someone to my door who's going to knock and say, can you disciple me? I don't know if that's ever happened. Maybe it's happened before. I'm sure it has. But the chances of that happening is very slim. It doesn't happen very often. 
but there are people around us in our neighborhoods, the places where we work, the places where we recreate, who are broken and hurting. And I know we're talking about this morning, even our own struggles, but as we get fix our eyes upon Christ, we can, we can pour into people as well, and that brings healing even, even to our own hearts. And so 1 Corinthians 8.1 talks about knowledge that puffs up, but love builds up. And simply, I think it is just loving people. Again, how do, you, how do you walk that out? You just start loving people. And there's different ways that we do it. And so I want us to be somewhat defined or, or have those characteristics that we'll be intentional, that we will um, be committed, and that we will allow it to cost us something. It's already happening. I already see it. it it's been happening. And, and we're going to bump up against things. Let's continue to have these conversations of, what does now love look like? Or what about this or what about that? And that's the great thing of, of this church is we can have those conversations. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for what you're doing within us, what you're doing through us. I thank you, Lord, that you are raising up a people, men and women, even children, Lord, who love you so deeply and Lord, also just don't want to sit on that love, but want to share with others. And I thank you for that, Lord. So many of us have, have not necessarily seen a great model, model of, of reaching out or, or, or discipleship, Lord. And Lord, you're just recrafting us, remolding us to be outwardly focused, to, to be a disciple and to make disciples. So Lord, have your way with us. Lord, I thank you for just what you've been doing in our midst. The people who, who, have, who are putting this, all of us who are putting this into action of just simply loving people. Loving the person that, that, that scans our groceries or the person who delivers our mail or the person who lives beside us. Lord, may we, may we be even more intentional. May we be even more committed to the process. And Lord, may we let it cost us something even greater. To your name and to your glory, Lord, let us live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And Lord, I pray in, in the depths of our heart, let there be transformation. Transform us, Lord. There is selfishness that's there inside of us. Lord, there's even pain and there's hurt that, that hold us back. And so I pray, Lord, transform us from the inside out, from, from the bottom to the top of our hearts. Let us produce good fruit, Lord good trees producing good fruit. We can't do it in our own strength, only through you who strengthens us. And so we just give this to you this morning in Jesus' name. been on my heart all day, um, but I think it will encourage you. October 9, 1954. So how long, long ago is that? It's a long time. <laughs> 60-some years, yeah. Um, my husband was 14 years old and was up in the mountains, and a young college student um, asked him if he'd ever given his life to Jesus. And he gave his life to Jesus. 
And he just was there only one day. He wasn't spending the night or anything. And it changed his life. It changed his destiny. It changed my destiny. It changed my daughter's destiny. I never would have met him or even married him if that hadn't happened. So what you're doing with your children, uh, what we what we are doing with our children, with our neighbors, with everything, it has a tremendous, tremendous effect. It can affect somebody's eternal destiny. So be courageous. <laughs> be courageous. Amen. Let our prayer ministers come forward this morning. If you need prayer, they're here to pray with you. You know, when, when um, I grew up in church, Episcopal church, pastor always say, what would he say? Go, in, go into the world in, in peace and love. So we go into the world with peace and love, but we go into the world to put it into action. And so I want us to just to allow the Lord to do stuff this week. And, um, and I would say we'll have a testimony time next week, but, but Mark's going to be sharing the words. So I won't do that to him. But at some point, just, just send me an email, shoot me a text, and just say, hey, this is what's happening. And I'd love to hear what the Lord is doing. So go into the world in peace and action.